I have had a stirring in my heart the last few weeks over a number of things pertaining not just to our spiritual family and community, but pertaining to what I believe the Lord is doing in the global body of Christ. Amen. So we would all agree this morning that we are connected to the family of God, which is not just here in our city or in our state or in our country, but it is a global body of Christ that is multicultural. It's multi-ethnic. It's every tongue, tribe, and nation. If you really want something to be thankful for this morning, you can thank God that there are people in every language of the world right now that are relating to God, and that in itself is a magnificent wonder that we should all be thankful for. Um, not only are we connected to the body of Christ on a global level, but we are connected to the body of Christ in a very past, present, and future kind of way. So we have the great cloud of witnesses and all of the forefathers of our faith, those that we know and do not know who have gone ahead of us and paved the way for us to be where we are, living at the end of the age, and I know this might sound crazy, but living in a generation where I absolutely believe, and if you don't believe, you need to just get there by the grace of God, believe that we could see the coming of the Son of Man in our lifetime. If your heart even bucks at that statement, you need to repent of your unbelief. The reality is, right, myself included, we struggle to live with a sense of urgency and immediacy towards the things of God in our lives because we don't really believe in the deepest places of our heart that the master is coming to receive his reward in the earth. Come on, how are you doing this morning? Do you know that the key to longing for the second coming of the Lord is to have fully understood the first the reason why we don't live with an overache, overarching longing for the coming of the Son of Man to return to the earth is because we haven't really grasped the reality of why he came the first time. It was a setup for round two. He was always coming twice. It wasn't like he got down there and then decided, you know what? I'm just going to come back a second time because they weren't ready for me the first time. No. He was coming to set the stage for the age that we're living in now so that he could come in his glory a second time and establish, right? Your word says that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. I love family church. All right, let's pray before we jump in the word this morning. Father, we love you. Lord, most importantly, we thank you that you love us. God, we thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in our hearts and in our minds right now, Lord, this morning. Father, I thank you for the word that has already come forth, Lord, in worship this morning. I thank you for the, for the word that Ashley shared, Lord, which we know to be the word of the Lord by the Spirit, God, that you are preparing a people Lord, for yourself that look like you, that act like you, that think like you, and that have a longing to see you, Jesus, receive the reward of your suffering in the earth in real time. 
God, we're asking for the grace, Lord, this morning, and, and you need to ask him for yourself. Lord, give me the grace, Lord, this morning to receive your word. Let your word be implanted, God, deep in my heart so that it can take root and that it can bring forth change and transformation at the deepest level, Lord, which will then bring you glory in my life. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. God, I thank you that you love the church enough, God, to leave us clear instructions, God, about what to do and when to do and how to do it. God, I thank you, Lord, that as the people of God, Lord, that we do not have to live in confusion. Lord, that we do not have to live without clarity. God, that we do not have to live without understanding God, who you are, even if we don't know what you're doing. God, I'm asking for faith, Lord, this morning to arise in our hearts <coughs> so that we can lay hold of your promises this morning. Father, I pray that you would anoint your word, Lord, to break up the fallow ground in us and to create space and room Lord, for your will to be done in our lives. God, I pray that you would create in us an urgency and an immediacy, Lord, to take hold of that which you have already said and what you are saying now. And even before we share the word of the Lord this morning, man, I just feel in my heart like the Lord is saying to us as a family that we must ask God for grace to understand what he has already said so that we can do what he is saying and about to say God would you help me Lord this morning come on let's ask him Lord help us Lord this morning Lord those of us God who are slow to understand God, who need things repeated to us over and over and over again, which is all of us. God, so that we can get it deep down on the inside. God, we're asking for your word to pierce us in the deepest places and that it would produce the fruit of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Are you ready for the word this morning? The word is ready for you. Come on, man. You guys awake this morning? Huh? Come on. You guys know how I feel about the word of God, how the Lord feels about his own word. I, what Ashley was saying this morning, you'll see as we walk through the scripture. And by the way, if you have your Bible, go with me to Luke chapter 11, because that's where we're going to start. But God actually really does. I felt like everything that Ashley was crying out for this morning, it was the Lord calling out to us because God is not looking for a mute people. He's not looking for a deaf people. And, and you know, have you ever thought about the reality, right, that mute people and deaf, like if you're mute, you're deaf, you're deaf, you're mute, right? If you're deaf, you can't talk. You don't know how to talk because you're in audible things jacked up. You can't hear anything so you don't say anything. And the reason why the church is mute is because the church is deaf. We can't hear the word of the Lord so we don't speak the word of the Lord. Come on. 
And it's not because God's not talking, fam. It's because we've turned the off switch off. Nah, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. And so then I actually have nothing of substance to say. How many of you want your words to count in this life? I want my words to count. I want to know that what comes out of my mouth has value. Or maybe we shouldn't talk as much. Right? We've all heard the old adage, right? That you have two ears and one mouth, Brenda. So we should listen twice as much as we talk. Do you believe that's true? Because it is. Do you know that if we spent twice as much time listening as we did talking, then when we talked, what we said would matter more. Have you ever been around somebody who talks too much? And don't go pointing at me. Connor points at himself. Good job, Connor. I'm not saying you talk too much. But right, you ever been around somebody who they just talk and you're like, dude, what are you talking about? Because they're just talking to talk. I feel like sometimes that's what the church is like. It's just chatter and clatter and sounds and symbols and noises. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that unless the bugle or unless the trumpet sounds a clear call, then how will people respond? Nobody will respond if the, if the call is not clear. All right, you got your Bibles? You're there in Luke chapter 11 this morning? You say amen if you're there. All right, so... I'm going to read the first, first couple of verses, but let me just say this to you to give you some context. How many of you have heard the Lord's Prayer before? Raise your hand. How many of you don't know what the Lord's Prayer is? All right, so everybody knows, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, okay? Let me just say this to you, and it, and it may sound like a no-brainer, but I'm going to address it because for whatever reason, the culture in the American church thinks that if we just recite this scripture, and I'm not saying there's not power on the prayer that the Lord Jesus prayed, but fam, this is a model for how to pray. It's not necessarily what you pray every time. Do you understand? Right? Today, football games are going to be played all over the country, and millions and millions of people are going to watch the NFL. And before and after the game... Players who are going to drop the F-bomb 200 times today and don't know the difference between Jesus and an apple are going to get on their knee and pray the Lord's Prayer. Right? Because it's just ritualistic tradition. This is not why the Lord gave us the Lord's Prayer. The disciples, listen, verse 1. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. He wasn't asking him what he was reciting. He was saying, how do you do what it is that you are doing? Right? And have you heard it said before that it's very interesting that the disciples who walked around with Jesus 
and saw him do miracle signs and wonders and heard all of the messages and saw him do all of the things, they didn't come and say, Jesus, can you teach us how to raise the dead? Can you teach us how to cast out devils? Can you teach us how to take up a great offering? Can you teach us how to do all these things? They said, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? Have you ever asked yourself why they were asking Jesus how to pray? Well, I would speculate within the boundaries of the scripture that the reason why the disciples were asking Jesus to teach them how to pray is because in the scripture we see Jesus was often separating himself from the disciples to do what? To pray. To get alone with the Lord, to, with the Father, and to cry out to Him, and to make intercession, and to be with Him. This was the secret to Jesus' life before the Lord and before people. It was prayer. So He says to them, and the Lord's prayer is not the focus of the message. I want to get to this deeper place of the why behind the what, which is actually what Ashley was prophesying by the Spirit this morning. And I'm going to tell you before we even get there so that you're thinking in this context of, let me say it to you like this, that how we ask the Father is just as, if not more important than what we're asking. Hello? How we ask Him matters to Him. And if there's anything in you that questions it, it's okay. We're going to lay that to rest with the word of God this morning because Jesus gives clear instructions about how we are to come to him and to pray. And it's not about a formula, Brenda. It's not about a form. It's not about, well, if I don't get all of these things right, then he's not going to listen to my prayer. No, what Jesus is saying is that there is a way to come to the Lord with supplication and intercession to where your prayers are going to get noticed above other people who are praying half-hearted prayers. Do you know that the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, that the eyes of the Lord are ranging the earth, looking to and fro for a heart that is fully committed to Him. And the Word says, and to the heart that is fully committed, He gives strength. And I know, man, right? Like, well, how do, I mean, is it offensive to consider the reality, again, that Jesus did not die for half-hearted disciples? That he actually desires a people that want him the way that he wants us? Like, it's okay to get passionate about Jesus. And you know what? We can use a different analogy. Maybe Alabama football doesn't crank your tractor. That's fine. Or whatever. But maybe it's Shopping or anime or whatever it might be. I don't care what it is. What is the thing that stirs you up the most? And imagine that the Lord wants to be exalted above that thing infinity times more than that thing. Because whatever it is, fam, I hate to break it to you. And Alabama fans, there ain't going to be no football in heaven. There will be way better things to do then throw the pigskin around. And I don't think Jesus is offended by football. But I just, I think he doesn't care that much. It doesn't really matter. Do you think that the 350 Israelite people who were murdered by Hamas yesterday and dragged out of their homes and killed in front of their families, 
care about what's going on in the NFL today? Are they being met with the reality of what God is doing in the earth? What about the 2,000 people who died this morning in an earthquake in Afghanistan? Because the earth is groaning with a longing to see the Son of Man return to the earth. Listen to what he says. Verse 2. Let's walk through it. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name, Lord. So what is the very first thing that Jesus instructs believers to do? Exaltation. To come in and to see him rightly. Because what I say about him and who I say that he is radically affects the way that I pray. If I'm beholding him like he's Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, then I think that I have the right to come in and use and abuse the name of the Lord and my, my, my very shallow prayer life and just ask God to do for him whatever it is I want him to do. Like he's a genie in the lamp, Jesus. You know, Lord, I need a new this and I need a new that and I need a raise at my job and I need this and I need more money and I need, I need, I need me, 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 me. Do you know, fam, that if we will begin to pray prayers like, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, if you would do in my life what most glorifies you. Matthew chapter 6, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these other things, all the material needs that we have, they get added unto us when we seek the Lord first. What if I told you the truth this morning that God is not asking you to spend any more of your time and energy worrying about material things in your life and he's asking you to begin to focus on his leadership and his life and his heart and the beauty of who he is and if we would do that as a people then God literally promises in his word I'll take care of it it's not a trick my life got incredibly simpler six months ago when God laid me out on the floor with that reality again. And for the first time in my adult Christian life, I felt like I was actually hearing the Lord the way he wanted me to hear him. Fam, Matthew 6, is, it's, it is a teaching, it's a rebuke, it's a why did he say it? Why did he say it to the disciples? Stop, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Fam, there's no getting around that, Vince. There's no like, oh, well, what does the Greek really mean? He's not actually saying not to worry there. No, he is saying, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Let's talk about what's happening right now today and what I've asked you to do. Because you can't go do tomorrow what I want you to do until you do today what I asked you to do. Come on. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name, Father. Thy kingdom come. And the deeper translation in Matthew where it's the more fullness of the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He says, give us each our daily bread. Can you say daily? You know what else the Bible says that we should do daily? There's two things Jesus said to do daily. What were they? Daily bread and dying daily. And these two things are intimately connected. 
that if we would die to ourselves, that we would have our daily bread. Because I can't get fed if I'm not dead. I can't have him and still have me. Right? If I would lay down my right to be right, if I would lay down my life, if I would lay down what I think needs to happen today. And again, fam, this is even about our time and our schedule and our attention and, you know, this is what I want to happen today. And again, I'm not saying that we can't make plans, but here's what I'm going to tell you, fam. That if our plans are not absolutely submitted and subservient to the will of the Holy Ghost, it's idolatry. I'm telling you, and this is why the word in James 4 says, he, James is rebuking the church with love, of course, and saying, do not say, tomorrow we will do this, and tomorrow we will say that. Because nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He said, don't be so arrogant in your heart that you would perceive that you know what's going to happen. And again, this is probably the point in the, in the sermon, right, where preachers would then try to be like, well, what's going to happen if you go out here and get hit by a car and get killed? And, you know, where are you at with the Lord? And blah, blah. L- Listen, fam, and even if so, so what? Does your life belong to the Lord or not? Like, I'm not worried about that. Do not worry about what's even going to happen when you leave here. Do you know that some of us, we miss out on what God is doing daily in our lives because we're so worried about tomorrow. Fam, some of us are still worried about what happened five years ago. Let it go. Come on. Do you know why the church is obsessed with inner healing and deliverance in this generation? Because they don't understand the power of the gospel. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. (coughs) And I know it rubs people the wrong way. But if we actually believe Jesus for who he was and what he says, we would be a much healthier and a whole people. He says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. I'm not going to hang out on forgiveness at all. But you might also be startled to find out that the forgiveness of sin is not the main reason why Jesus came to preach the gospel. If you actually believe that Jesus forgiving you of your sin is the number one reason why he came, you have been duped into believing in a man-centered gospel and that's why your life is centered around you and not around Jesus. (laughs) What do you mean, man? Like, Does he not want to forgive me of my sin? No. But Jesus said it was just as easy for him to forgive sin as it was to make an arm grow out. Like forgiveness was an easy thing for him to do. And I would never make light of the blood of Jesus. But fam, we we keep making it about us and our need of forgiveness. Rather than acknowledging that he has forgiven us and moving on with what he wants us to do. Forgiveness is step one of one million. It's the beginning. Come on. And he said to them, suppose one of you shall have a friend. And this is where I want to go deep this morning here. Verse 5, you ready? And Jesus said to them, suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. 
For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, can you say persistence? That was terrible. Can you say persistence? Thank you. Come on, persistence. Because of his persistence, he will get up and give him what? As much as he needs. We could literally close the word right now and start praying out of this reality. Fam. Let me read you, my brother Vince over here, like this. The Greek word for persistence. An idea. An idea. It means reckless disregard in asking. To ask with no consideration... No consideration of the one upon whom the request is being made. To be shameless in asking. And it's a small room, but I don't know how wild I could get this morning in modeling for you what I think persistent asking means. Fam, what if, right, have you ever heard the, that old saying that we have not because we ask not? They're like, well, I already asked. Well, how did you ask? Did you ask shamelessly? Did you give no consideration? Or maybe in this sense, we should give consideration to the one that we're asking it of? Beloved, a lot of us, we don't have, and again, I'm not talking about the house and the Ferrari and the half a million dollar a year job. I'm not talking about the comforts of the flesh because you're going to see what he says is, that he answers in, he said, I will give you the Holy Spirit, right? So we're, we don't have the power, we don't have the authority, we don't have what we need in Christ Jesus because we don't actually want what we're asking for. In other words, we don't want him. The persistence, he says that he will get up and give him everything and more as much as he needs all that you're trying to get it's going to get given to you in the lord if we will learn how to become shameless in our asking david said i will get more undignified in this in worship and i think the church in some circles doesn't mind dancing and hootering and hollering and singing the songs but i have yet to go to a prayer meeting in a very long time where the church from wall to wall was coming unglued as we were beseeching the Lord, asking Him to do not what we want Him to do, but what He's already said He wants to do. Because prayer is not about getting my way or your way. Prayer is about making sure He gets His way. Come on! I think I shared this about 10 days ago, but the Lord told me one day, He said, it's not my way or the highway, Josiah. He said, my way is the highway. In other words, there's only one way. All the other ways don't work. They don't produce any fruit. Fam, 
in the sports world or in my, in my hood growing up, which wasn't a hood, it was a suburb, but we used to say, bro, if you're going to come, come on. Right? If you're going to come, come all the way, but don't come halfway. Give me your best shot. Some of us are married. Most of us are. Those of you who are not, you will be one day in, the, in Jesus' name. But dude, when you showed up to take your wife or your husband on for that first time, I can promise you, you know, you didn't show up in a torn t-shirt and sweatpants and flip-flops. Be like, hey, hope you like me. No, man, you put on your best. You wanted to make an impression. You were wanting to get something out of the exchange. Yes? Why do we treat people... And why do we treat the things of the world that have temporal value with so much more importance than we do the place of eternal prayer? And this would be a whole other teaching for another time. But have you considered the reality that Jesus' sole occupation for the last 3,500 years, give or take a few, has been, no, sorry, 2,300, not 30. 2,300 or so years has been to sit at the right hand of the Father and to make intercession for the church. That he's crying out on our behalf right now to the Father. He's in agreement with all of heaven over what God wants to do in Orange Beach, what God wants to do in Clarksville, what God wants to do in Ohio, what God wants to do all over the earth. Prayer is about partnering with what God is doing and is about to do. It's not about you getting your way. Prayer has absolutely nothing to do with you getting a raise at your job, getting a brand new car, or having a fridge full of food. Absolutely zero. We are not, in, you can argue with me if you want to, but there are no instructions in your Bible from Jesus saying that we are to beg him for these things. He said, ask me for the daily bread and I will give it to you. It'll be given to you. Guaranteed. Ask and it'll be done for you. And I say to you, verse 9, and I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, can you say ask? Iteo, which is to beg or to beseech in prayer. So asking and praying and persistence, all of these words, and we're going to walk through some more scriptures where you're going to see what these words actually mean. Jesus was not inviting or commissioning or commanding us to go, good morning, Lord. Uh, I just thank you for my sister's salvation this morning. And if you could do that, that would be great. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow morning. And then go on without my day. He's literally saying, hey, hey, ask me, ask me for the salvation, ask me for the breakthrough, ask me for what it is that I want to do, because I'm listening. What did Ashley prophesy this morning? She said she had a vision of Jesus walking through the room, sticking his ear up to our lips and saying, hey, what are you saying? I can't hear you. And do you think he's doing it because he's arrogant and narcissistic? No. 
He's saying, I desire to be desired. I want to be wanted. And not only do I want to be wanted, but I know something about you that you don't know. Because you were made in my image, I wasn't made in yours. That when you begin to lift up your voice and you begin to make a noise and you begin to stir yourself up, that there are things that will come up and out of you that will produce a fruit of righteousness that you will not have any other way. It's not getting stirred up for stirred up sake. This isn't about, you know, what, what a lot of conservative Christians are now calling emotionalism. I'm not saying emotionalism isn't a thing, fam. But emotionalism isn't idolatry and then in the sense of now we have no emotion. No, God has emotions. We're made in his image. My emotions can be sanctified in coming from him. Does that make sense? So it's not too emotional or no emotions. It's... I want the emotions of God. And God is saying to us as an emotional God to an emotional people, I want an emotional response from you. Or do we not think that the four living creatures and the 24 elders who spend all of eternity around the throne erupting with holy, holy, holy and worthy art thou the Lord God. Do you think that that's a very stoic? Do you think they're just going, holy, 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 it's the Lord God Almighty. Are we done singing this song yet? Worthy art thou, gosh. I mean, right? But fam, we, we, we can't get through 15 minutes of corporate worship most of the time and we're checked out and we're bored and we don't want anything to do with it because I, all I can think about is what's going on at my job or what's gonna, what I'm going to eat for lunch. Or, and I'm not, the Lord's not here to shame us in our humanity, fam. It's to create a context for, look at what we've created a capacity for in our lives because we spend more time feeding the flesh than we do feeding the spirit. Right? What you feed will grow. What you starve will die. This is why Jesus commanded the church to pray and fast. How you doing this morning? Are you okay? Are you starting to wake up a little bit? You hear them knocking on the door? Because you know the crazy thing is, most of the time for believers, it's not that God is knocking on the door to get in. That knocking's coming from the inside. Let me out. Hey, I've been in here a long time. I'm ready to do something. Do you want to do it with me? Or do you want to keep asking me for animal crackers and, and, and Cadillacs? Some of y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Right? You, we are the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Dude, say that phrase out loud. The kingdom of God. The kingdom has been given to you and to me. And it dwells in its fullness on the inside of my life. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. I heard a wise man, Jim Simbala, once say, 
that if you want to find out how popular a preacher is in your city, that you can go to his service on Sunday morning. If you want to find out how popular the church is outside of his influence or her influence, you go to the midweek service where he may not be because people will still be there. But if you want to find out how popular Jesus is in a local church, go to the prayer meeting. Nobody wants to sign up for the prayer team because it doesn't have any glitter and glam. Nobody's looking at you. Because the reality is Holy Ghost prayer meetings usually mean you're snotting and crying and laying on your face and making sounds coming out of your body that you don't actually have any control over. Aaron's parents were here visiting this weekend and we're having a conversation which was refreshing because they love intercession in a place of prayer and I was sharing with them a conviction that Jen and I both carry and it's something that we are longing and are working to see happen in our body and in as many bodies as we can. That intercession and intercessory prayer or being an intercessor was never intended and we must stop reducing it to a group of the most spiritually deep people in the church who want to gather in a room 45 minutes before service to pray that the service goes well. There is nothing in the word of God that says that intercessors are a unique people, group of people who are separated out from the rest of the believers and it's their responsibility to take care of crying out to the Lord while everybody else just gets to show up, drink coffee, say rah, rah, sis, boom, bah, put a few dollars in the bucket and go home. That's not the way it was meant to be. You're a priest. You're a priest. You're a priest. You're a priest. I am a priest. I was made in the image of God. Jesus is my merciful and faithful high priest. And again, another teaching for another time. But you know, in the context in which the gospels are being written, in the way in which the Bible was written, it wasn't kings who had the highest command of the land in most places. It was who? The high priest. How you doing this morning? Verse 11. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what does he say that Jesus is giving in response to the prayers that are being prayed? The Holy Spirit. He's saying whatever you ask, ask in my name and it's going to be I'm imparting a deeper revelation of myself to you. As an answer to the prayer that you're praying. It has nothing to do with material things. And it has everything to do with who he is. What if the answer to the situation that we're in right now. Is not more money or a better job. Or a, it's a better revelation. Come on. What if it's not I need to go know where to go. Or how to do it or when to do it or what to do. It's I need to know who he is because if I know who he is, then I'll understand his ways and then I won't have to wonder what he's doing. 
Beloved, the church is confused as a whole. We don't know what God is doing because we don't know who God is. And God is trying to get us familiar with who he is. We need preaching on the knowledge of God, singing on the knowledge of God, praying the knowledge of God, talking about the knowledge of who he is that reorients our life in such a way that when God begins to move, we recognize it's him and we follow. But some of us are still waiting for him. We're waiting for the knock on the outside of the door and he's already knocking on the inside saying, hey, I've already spoken. And we've been saying this in this season, but I feel like it needs to be said again this morning that God's no's are just as good as his yeses. If my children, my sons, only like to obey me when I give them what they want, that's not real obedience. It's when my children learn to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, when I tell them they can't have something they want, that it's actually worship. And the problem with some of us in this room this morning is that we love when God says yes and we <coughs> we hate when he says no. We're crying out Hosanna on Sunday and crucify him on Monday. Fam, we're no different in the story. If we were in Jerusalem, every single one of us would have been saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and the next day we would have been saying, crucify him crucify him no not me yeah that sounds familiar Peter said that too and he denied him three times dude I was reading the story of Peter's denial this week again and I got stuck on the part where it says that after the third time because Peter was following at a distance that Jesus looked over at Peter they locked eyes Ah, he knew, man. He betrayed him three times. The cock crows immediately. And Jesus is looking at Peter. You did exactly what I knew that you would do. But, all right, we're going to go right there. Luke chapter 21. Let's jump over. We're going to that story. Start in verse 24. <clears throat> We're going to get to that story in just a second. It's a few verses down. Are you guys okay? A few more minutes. Verse 24. Luke 24. No, Luke twenty-two, twenty-four. 24. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. This is hilarious to me. And, but we're still doing this in the church, Vince, are we not? All the time. We're fighting over who's the greatest. Who gets to sit at the head of the table? Who gets to be called pastor? Who gets to be called apostle? Who gets to do this? Who gets to do that? Who get? Oh my goodness. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. This is right, a whole other message for another day, but can I tell you, right, that God doesn't need more leaders in the church. He doesn't need more benefactors that are benefiting off the backs of God's people. 
He actually needs servants who have learned how to serve the people of God. I'm convicted about it every day when I wake up. The Lord's not asking me, how are you going to lead today? He's leading. He's asking me, how are you going to follow me? How are you going to serve? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. But not so with you. He's talking to the disciples. He says, but let him who is the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus is amazing. Man, do you got... Have you ever really thought about like Jesus is God? God, fam. The one who made everybody in this room. The one who has never been and always been. The I am. The uncreated God manifesting as the son of man. And he is saying, I've come not to be served, but to serve. So can't you then hear the voice of the Lord going, so what's your excuse? How important do we think we really are that we can't serve others, serve our spouse, serve our kids, get out of the way. You're not that important. There is one who is much more important than you or I. And he made a point, not in false humility, but in real humility of laying down his life, even to the point of death on a cross and saying, this is what I desire for you to do. You ever got tired of serving? Oh, just me? I get tired of it all the time. And the Lord's like, amen. Die. Die again. Die as many times as it takes. And some days it's easy and some days it's really hard. You know? What do you do when you're laying in bed with your wife? And she's like, I need a cold glass of ice water. And you're almost asleep. And what she's saying is, will you go get out of bed, put clothes on, because we live in a house full of people, so I can't just go downstairs naked. Go downstairs, which is some good steps, and get the glass of ice water, and then come back upstairs and give it to your wife, and then you can go to sleep. No, you get your own glass of water. Or, thank you, Lord. Yes, ma'am, I will go get you some ice water. And while that may not seem like a big deal, what it's doing is it's another opportunity for me to tell my flesh to be quiet and for me to make mastery over my mind in the Holy Ghost. Because here's the deal, fam. If you can't do the little things, what makes you think you're going to be able to do the hard things when they come? If you can't serve your wife and your kids, if you can't serve your neighbor, if you can't serve the people that you're supposed to be leading in a small local church, family, then what makes you think you're going to be able to give your life if it's required of you? Like, do you understand that everything in the Lord is a process and it's all a setup? That, that in God, everything has a purpose. Everything. Every single, the footsteps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. And in their path, he delights. Does that make sense? Because it's the word of God. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. 
Verse 28. And you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Does that sound like playing football in heaven? If what I just said is true and that everything in this life has purpose, then what is the purpose? And even beyond glorifying God in this life, it is about glorifying God in the next. Because we've been created not just for this age, fam, but for the age to come. Have you ever gotten excited about the reality that the millennial reign is on the way and that we will rule and reign with him in heavenly places? <laughs> you picked out your horse yet? Just, it's a joke. There's no theology there. I'm just saying, do you understand what I'm saying, fam, is that we have to stop getting hung up on everything happening in this life and understand that it all serves a purpose in Christ Jesus and that it is storing up treasure for us in another realm. And I don't mean, anyway, glory to God. Verse 31, here we go, Ash. He says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But here's this word I want to get into. He said, but I have prayed for you. Jesus said, I've prayed for you, Peter. The Greek word, and I love this word, it's diomai. To beg or beseech, to petition in prayer with loud and fervent supplication in such a way that the person who is praying the prayer has bound themselves to that which they are praying for. He didn't just say, well, Peter, uh, I've asked daddy and uh, it's going to be okay. No, he said, Peter, I have sought the father on your behalf. I have lifted my voice with loud supplication and tears. I have made intercession for you in my heart with my mouth and prayed until I felt like the breakthrough had come so that I knew that when I went to the cross that you would come back around even after you denied me three times. Beloved, have you ever needed breakthrough in your life in any area? Have you ever needed a miracle? I have. If you needed a miracle, how would you want somebody to pray for you? Have you ever needed prayer and somebody came up prayer, prayed a prayer over you and it sucked? Because I have. Or better yet, have you ever done the traditional Christian thing that we do in the church when somebody says they have a need and we lie to them and say we're going to pray for them and we walk away and never pray for them? Because we're selfish. No, he said, Peter, I've prayed for you. I've already foreseen what's about to happen, happen, and it hasn't turned my heart away from you. I'm still jealous for you. You're still going to finish. Even when you feel like you can't, I've already made a way for you in prayer to do what I've called you to do. Do you know that Jesus has prayed for you? That he not only has given his life for you, Connor, he's prayed for you. And he prays for you still. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again... Go and strengthen your brothers. 
And he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go. Both to prison and to death. And he said, I will say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied me three times. Denying that you know me. And no meaning not just in connection to the name. No meaning that's the Greek word for intimacy. Like you're denying that you even ever had a relationship with me. You're denying that you fellowshiped with me and that we were ever friends. And he said to them, when I sent you out without purse and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing. And catch this. Because some of us in this room, in real time, I know it in my heart, and I'm, ta- I'm preaching to myself, okay? Because I need to hear this too. That what God is doing in one season is not necessarily what he's doing in the next. And the way that God does something in one season doesn't mean he's going to do it that same way in the next. And the reason we miss God a lot of the time in our life is because we're expecting God to move this way in this season, the same way he did last season, and he's not there anymore. I'm looking for him in a whisper, and he's over here with a shout. I'm looking for him on a, on a calm sea, and he's over here in the raging wave. You know that song, Waymaker? Everybody know that song? Waymaker, miracle worker. Sometimes I wish we would change the name of the song to Wavemaker. Because that's really how I know him. He's always been way more of a wave maker than a way maker to me. And his waves make way for his ways. I have a tattoo on my arm. It's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. I've had it there for a long time. And what I thought was a really cool and cute tattoo has become a price that I've had to learn how to pay and in pain. And it says... I have learned to kiss the waves that smash me against the rock of ages. Boom, boom, boom. Right into the rock until there's nothing left of me and all that remains is him. I see people post cute Christian quotes on their social media pages and I cringe. I'm like, dude, you don't even know what you're saying right now. If you did, you probably wouldn't put it all, all over social media. I'm like, I think the more likes you get, the more intense this revelation is going to be for you. And I'm not sure you want it that way. <laughs> you're a wave maker, Lord, and a way maker. And Father, I thank you that your waves make way for your ways. And you will never be able to walk in his ways until you accept his waves, man. You learn to kiss the waves, you'll learn to walk in his ways. And he said to them, when I sent you out without purse and bag, verse 35, and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now... Let him who has a purse take it along, likewise also a bag, and let him who has no sword sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. Do you find it interesting that he's actually telling the disciples to go buy swords? (laughs) 
but I just want to be a love, peace, and hippie grease Christian. Peace, bro. No, like Jesus is not a shroom-eating hippie that can be pacified with passivity. He's a revelation one Jesus with eyes full of fire, hair like wool. He's going to come and tread the winepress of fury, which will be the blood of two-thirds of the earth, real men and women, dead to the last one of them. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus we're worshiping this morning. The same Jesus who sent an earthquake to Afghanistan and it killed 2,000 people this morning. Or do you think the earth just did that by itself because it does what it wants? You know, your Bible says in the book of Amos chapter 3 that when a natural disaster happens, it says, Have I, the Lord your God, not caused it to happen? Hurricanes, earthquakes, landslides, all of it belongs to Him. Even creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed. And again, fam, we have to preach these verses because it jacks up the carnal theology that we've adopted, which is why we have the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus Jesus who plays nice with me in my sin and winks at me in my unbelief. Come on. He's the wild, wind-walking, wave-making God who governs the cosmos from his throne. What are you saying, that God killed 2,000 people? I'm saying that God's ways are higher than my ways, and I wouldn't even begin to try to guess at what God is doing. I just know that the Bible says very clearly that at the end of the age, these things that are happening now would happen, and it would be a sign to me that the Son of Man is getting ready to split the sky and come, and I had better get my butt ready for what He wants to do. And not just... Like put oil in my lamp so I could hide underneath my bed in the fetal position sucking my thumb waiting for the rapture. No, I mean it's time to get to work, bro. Making disciples, preaching the gospel, creating spiritual family, running after the lost, praying real prayers that actually matter to God. Do you feel stirred in your heart this morning? If you don't, you're dead. Verse 37, for I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he has numbered with the transgressors for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Say, don't go crazy with the metal, boys. Verse 39, we're going to walk right into this here. He came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So not only am I to pray for myself and pray for others according to the will of God, but I'm also supposed to pray what? That I would not be caught in temptation. That I need to be delivered from evil daily. When was the last time you spent time praying, Father, deliver me from temptation. Deliver me from the lust of the flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the pride of life, which are forever trying to work their way into my heart. 
Some of us, man, it's been such a long time since we had a powerful encounter with the power of God by which we got saved, healed, and delivered that we have forgotten how to cry out to him again. Do you know? And again, I would say to you this morning, fam, that it's possible to go from encounter to encounter. You're going to live on the mountaintop and in the valley, but it doesn't mean that the degree of his presence has to change. Nothing in your Bible says that's true. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, I just feel like the Lord has kind of backed away from me in this season to just kind of teach me how to do it. Anybody, anybody ever heard, heard somebody say that? Baloney. Where is that in your Bible? Jesus said, I will now, I'm giving you permission. The next person who tells you that God's backed away for them or that he's removed his presence or that he's intentionally trying to make it hard for me to hear him right now because he's just wanting to see what I will do. What a bunch of foolishness. That is the arrogance and the wisdom of man masking around as the wisdom of God. Masquerading as the wisdom of God. No, Jesus, the Son of God, said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Look at your neighbor and say, God is with you. All right, now look at yourself and say, God is with me. Come on, Hannah, God is with me. Come on. Verse 41, and he, being Jesus, withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray. Say pray. pray. Saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. If the only prayer you pray today is, Father, not my will, but your will be done, it's going to be a good day yeah. if you obey. Yeah. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. Should I do another demonstration of what fervent prayer looks like? Or do you, th you think we got it the first time? Right? And can I just tell you that I don't believe Jesus prayed that way just because he was going to the cross? I believe that the passionate son of God who loves his people was praying fervently in the garden all the time. He was beholding the beauty of his father and he was stirred in his godly emotion to pray prayers of passion. I don't see anything in my Bible that creates Jesus or paints him out to be a stoic man with no emotion who didn't care about what was coming out of his mouth. How many of you believe that every single word that Jesus uttered from his mouth was oiled with perfection? The same guy who said that all of your idle words are going to count against you when you stand before my father. Every idle word, the Bible says, that we utter that has not been accounted for, we're going to have to give an account for our words. Lord, help us to listen. Twice as much as we talk. Father, if thou art willing to remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat 
became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples. Listen to this, fam. And it says, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Is there any part of your heart this morning that is asleep from sorrow? Is there any part of your heart this morning that has been lulled to sleep by the pain of the past and disappointment has you doing things like sleeping that you ought to be doing when you should be awake? Are you awake this morning? Or are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? The old nursery rhyme. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. All right, one more small set of scriptures and then we'll be done. Luke 21. You guys okay? Yes? Sure? I know it might seem like a lot, but I really feel like I got to tie, we need to tie these things together. Luke 21, verse 10. Then he, being Jesus, continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before, say before, before all these things, they will lay their hands on you, and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead you to an opportunity for your testimony. How does that change the way that we think of giving a testimony? You know, like I got saved and then the pastor asked me to come to Bible study Wednesday night and Share my testimony, which is fine. But that's not what Jesus was setting them up for. He knew how all of them were going to go out, and he was saying, everything that's happened to me is going to happen to you, and it's for the glory of my name in the earth. And it did, just as he said that it would. And it will happen to us just as he said it would happen. And beloved, some of us may pay with our lives, and some of us may not. But before you go worrying about it, look what he says in verse 14. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourself. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. 
He's saying, Matthew 6, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry of its own. If you would just be in me and I would be in you, then when you get squeezed and the time of your testing comes, then you can be assured that what comes up out of your heart is not you, it will be me. There's a difference between people who react and people who respond. You ever heard this before? I do not want to be a man of reaction. I want to be a man of response. And a response, a reaction is something <coughs> that happens as the immediate result of what gets done to me, right? Brenda comes up and slaps me in the face and I curse her. Or I, maybe I don't. Whatever happens in an immediate moment, that's my reaction to what she did. But if I have purposed in my heart to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord because I've spent time with him and him with me, then what will come up out of my spirit rather than my flesh is the way that I respond to that situation. Jesus didn't react to people. He responded to them out of an understanding of what they were already doing before they did it. You know that you can live your life in such a way by the Spirit of God where you can perceive what many men and women are doing before they even do it. And even if you don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it, you will find yourself in the right position because you have positioned yourself in God and not in the eyes of men. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. And we're not going to go there, but when I read this, I immediately thought of Stephen. Acts chapter 7, the first martyr of the church, who, by the way, was not some mighty apostle. He was the head of the food pantry. And he gave his life. He preached an amazing message that was filled up with his, the knowledge of God that he carried. And when they came for him, you know the reason why they stoned him, right? It was because they could not overcome him. They had to kill him. They could not reckon with what he was saying, so they had to shut him up. Everything they had to say, he had something to say that made way more sense. And he was stirring up people to turn away from their religion and turn their heart to God. And they said, no, we're not doing this. Verse 16, but you will be delivered up. Here you go. More offensive words by the master. Thank you, Jesus. But you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they, meaning your family, can you say family? Your family will put some of you to death. Parents will kill their children. Children will kill their parents. Brothers will kill their sisters. Sisters will kill their sisters. Hello. Jesus said this is going to happen in real time. And you will be hated by all on account of my name. And yet not a hair of your head will perish. Verse 19, 
You ready for this one, Jared? I mean, Jesus says all the most amazing stuff. It's incredible. He says, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Why don't I believe in the rapture? For a million reasons other than it's not a biblical doctrine and it's just totally demonic. Because Jesus says right here, not by being saved out of what's happening, but by enduring what's happening, that I will gain my life. Now, God doesn't want to deliver me from, you know that God is not afraid of me dying. He's not. Jesus was not afraid of death. That's not why he was sweating and crying that turned into blood. It wasn't because he was afraid of death. He wasn't shuddering at death. He was bearing up under the weight of the sin of the world for all of eternity. The weight of iniquity that he had never felt. My sin, your sin, your sin, your sin, and the sin of the whole world from the beginning to the end was going to be placed on him at one time in one moment. He was going to taste iniquity and be separated by his father from his father in that moment. And it was going to be extremely painful. Nobody's ever tasted that. Nobody ever will. When we say that God took for me what I deserved, we still don't even understand what that means. <coughs> because <clears throat> you ever been overwhelmed by your own sin? No. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, have you ever been overwhelmed by your own sin? Or maybe just your own bad choices? So imagine that being amplified by I don't even know what number. The largest number you can think of and he took all of that at the same time in one moment while they're crucifying him on the cross. And still had enough of, gra of the grace of God in him to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I just wish we had adequate words to talk about how good God actually is. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are in the midst of the city depart and let not those who are in the country enter the city because there are days of vengeance. Because these are the days of vengeance. In order that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and upon the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. There it is. How about this? Men will faint from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers, meaning the principalities which are in the heavens, these will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Yes, Jesus. 
But when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Look at your neighbor and say, straighten up. Straighten up, Miranda. Straighten up and lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. The end of the age is not something that we should be afraid of. It should be something that we are praying for. When was the last time you spent 15 minutes asking God to come back? Maranatha. Do you know what that word means? Come, Lord Jesus. Do you know that it was both the greeting and the departure of the early church? That when they would greet one another, they would say, Hey, Vince, Maranatha, love you, brother. Come, Lord Jesus. Good to see you. But they would say it because they lived with an expectation that while they might be fellowshipping, the Son of God may come back. When they would leave one another for the night or for the day or on a journey, they would say, Maranatha, Brenda, I love you. Because they earnestly believed and expected that might be the last time they see their brother or sister in the flesh before the Son of Man came again. Beloved, we need that longing in the church so bad right now, it's not even funny. No, we're like, ah, oh, no, I'll see you next Sunday. For round 37 of the whatever it is we're doing. And he told them a parable. We're, we're literally, I'm landing the plane right now. You guys good? And he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves... You see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Which means we're going to see it and we're going to endure it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. All of this is going to go, fam. And at the end of the age, it'll be the Son of Man standing before the nations of the earth and His Word, which endures forever, will endure forever. He says, now this is where I want us to pay attention as we close. Are you ready? Verse 34. He's talking to the disciples. He says, be on guard. Can you say, be on guard? You're going to be on guard. You've got to have your sword out. Right? If I'm guarding something, I'm not sleeping. I'm awake with that sword that Jesus told him to go buy. He said, I, while I was with you, <coughs> you didn't need a sword. You didn't need anything. But I'm going away and now you're going to need a little bit of money and you're going to need a sword. And again, I'm not advocating for physical violence. So if anybody listens to the recording of this, they're like, Oh, there's a guy down in Orange Beach who's arming the saints. No. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I'm not advocating for buying a sword and hurting people. Peter cut the ear off of the servant in the garden and Jesus put it back on. He's not advocating for violence. Even though your Bible says in Matthew 11 that the kingdom of God suffers violence and violent men take it by force. What does he mean by that? Whole other message for another day. Be on guard. Let's say it one more time. Be on guard. Some of you need to work on that if you're going to be a guard. That your heart may not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness. 
Jehu, sit down. That your heart may not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that day come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all, say all, those who dwell on the faces of all the earth. The sorrow of life, the worry of the world, the temptation. Why did Jesus specifically highlight dissipation and drunkenness at the end of the age, fam? Do you think that dissipation and drunkenness is an issue in our culture? Do you think it's an issue in the church? Yes, it is. People ask me and my wife why we no longer drink at all. Not even, not even ever. Not in our house, not, not a glass of wine, not nothing. Why? Because I'm not going to make room for the enemy to have access to my heart. And I'm not going to give room for the enemy to give access to anybody else's heart. Whether I can have one beer or not. Whether you can have one glass of wine or not. I'm just telling you. I'm not going to get into legalism. I'm not going to say that you're in sin. If you drink a glass here or there or whatever. I'm just going to tell you that it's something you need to pray about and consider what the Lord would say at the end of the age because what I know is that both the, the world and the culture of the world that has worked its way into the church has become casually okay with alcohol in such a way that there are now many members of the body of Christ who will tell you they're having one, which leads to two, to three, to four, and then before you know it, we're in debauchery and carousing just like the world. Three verses. No, one verse. One verse. Last verse. Verse 36. But keep on the alert at all times and praying. Here's that word again, fam. Diomai. Begging and beseeching. Crying out aloud with supplication in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I'm going to read it fast. Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that day come on you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times Praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. There is nobody in this room, myself included, who is excluded from the all in this passage. That the worry and the woe of life, that the sleep that comes from sorrow, which is most of the time the result of disappointment, that it is meant to lull us to a place where we are no longer focused on who the Lord is and what he's saying. Fam, the reason why we need each other in this season, why we're focusing on family and building real relationships at last is because we will all be tested we will all be tried. 
And when you're having a bad day, it is so important to have others around you that can help to shake off the slumber that is trying to put you to sleep. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 33, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have already overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, much has been spoken from your word. Much has been communicated and said. Lord Jesus, we are asking, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, today. Lord, to shake off the sleep that wants to cause us to slumber. Father, I pray over our hearts, Lord, this morning and over the hearts of those who would hear this message. God, that you would wake up your people in this hour. Lord, that we would not be like a fig tree that is only producing fruit in one season and nothing in the next. God, I pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to produce fruit in every season of life. Lord, that you would help us to abide in you as you abide in us. Lord, that we would be the branch that is connected to the vine Lord, and that we would never choose to disconnect. God, I'm asking, Lord, this morning that you would come in the power of the Holy Ghost and that you would show us the places within us, Lord, where sorrow and disappointment is trying to put us to sleep. God, we break disappointment from the past off right now. In Jesus' name. And even Miranda, as I'm praying, I felt it in my heart this morning that the Lord is saying even over you that he is breaking you free from the disappointment of the past that would try to keep your heart from being fully awake and fully alive as to what God is doing in this season of your life. Father, I thank you for my sister. Lord, I thank you, God, even for this vacation and their trip down here from Ohio and what you are doing in this family, what you are doing in her life personally. God, I thank you. Lord, that you have held every tear that she has cried in a bottle, Father, in a real place. And that, Lord, her tears have been kept and they're being poured back out in this season as answered prayer. God, every longing for family, every longing for community, every longing in her heart that says there must be more or I don't want to do this anymore, Father, I thank you. Lord, that you are strengthening her. Lord, that you are encouraging her. Lord, that you are filling her. Jesus, we say no more disappointment of the past. That the pain of the past will stop prophesying to you about your future. Miranda, I prophesy over you that your future is full of hope. That it is full of the brightness of the dawn. That these days which lie ahead will not be like the days which lie behind. There will be no even shadow or similarity of those things. But the Lord says, behold, Miranda. I am doing a new thing and I have filled your heart with a new song 
Father, I thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are, Lord, that is filling her, God, even now. Lord, that is going to cause her to see you, Lord, in a different way, Lord, that even your word, the word of God, which is alive, is going to come alive on the inside of her. Lord, piercing even the deepest places and bringing to life the revelation, God, that you've called her to carry. Miranda, Vince does not have a ministry by himself. God has called you as a couple to the work of the ministry. He has called you to the work of planting. He has called you to the place of family. He has called you together in the Spirit to do the work together. I just feel like the grace of God, the wind of God, man, is coming over the two of you even in this season that the Lord is saying the wind is about to blow and the river is about to flow and you do not need to be afraid of what you do not know. Father, we say, Lord, let the river flow. Let the wind blow. And God, give them courage in what they do not know. God, I thank you, Lord, that every answer is in the Son of God. Father, I thank you that every concern, that every need, that every preparation has already been made. Vince, I even feel like the Lord is saying, bro, in the same way that he told the disciples to go into the city and look for a man who is carrying a pot of water because he, he would have a room prepared for them where they would go and have the Last Supper. Bro, he, he told them, go into the city and you'll find a man who has a donkey tied to a post. Like, the preparations had already been made for his coming. And he is saying to you in this season, I have already made the preparations for what it is that I'm asking you to do. And you do not need to worry about what tomorrow will bring. For tomorrow has enough worry. Today has enough worry of its own. Father, I pray that in every place where religion is trying to sow fear and anxiety, Lord, I pray that it would be broken off in Jesus' name. And that their hearts would be turned towards the future with hope and with courage. Father, we thank you for the Ruta family. Lord, and their visitation to us in this season. God, we bless them as they've come. Lord, and we bless them as they go. And Father, we thank you for this family here in Orange Beach. And what you continue to do in this place among us. Lord, we say as a family, Maranatha. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen.